Welcome to Leadership is No Accident. I'm Andy Robbins from Oyster, the leadership development company. In each episode, leaders from all kinds of backgrounds share their leadership stories. We explore what got them started, what they learned along the way, and what ultimately fueled them to achieve their goals. We explore this and a whole lot more so you can take your leadership game to the next level. My guest on this episode of Leadership is No Accident is Dave Stitt. Dave is recognized as one of the leading team coaches in the UK, where he works with some of the most important teams in the construction industry. In our conversation, Dave talks about the most common challenges the teams he works with face and how he helps them increase their performance. We also discuss the critical skill of delegation. Dave shares five keys from his book, Deep and Deliberate Delegation. To round out our conversation, he explains how he does all of this and still finds the time to be a top triathlete. Let's hear from Dave. Hi, Dave. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Andy. Looking forward to it. So, you know, it's interesting. You're the first coach that I've interviewed for the podcast. How did you get started as a coach? Um, so, I, so, I, so, Andy, if I, if, I, if I go back to when I had a proper job, I was a chartered civil engineer. And uh, I was working for a contractor. Uh, I was kind of a middle manager. And uh, they had a reputation for being hard on their clients, hard on their subcontractors, and even harder on their staff. And they were really aggressive. And uh, they got into difficulty in the early 90s. And by the time we got to the mid-90s, they were in real difficulty. Mm. And they called in... They, they tried various things, but eventually they called in a couple of coaches who started a transformation program. And because, I don't know, I was kind of young and impressionable and enthusiastic, just like I still am now, and I found myself at the front of this program. It was a huge organizational change program. And we, we, we created a, a sub-program called Coaching the Coaches, Ah. which was designed to, uh, to train up 10 internal coaches, of which I was one, so that we could keep the thing going when the external coaches eventually left. So over a period of about a year and a half, I, I had about 60 days off-site with these external coaches uh, learning how to coach. And then as, as I got into that, I became an internal coach and started coaching other regional business boards ah, uh, while, okay. while, while I was a, a member of my regional business board. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's how I got into it. And then um, I was kind of approached to join another company in an operational role. And within about six months, they found out, they found out that I had this OD organizational development, you know, transformation change experience and I was a, a trained coach 
Yeah. So they, they asked me to, so that organization asked me to lead their transformation program, which I did for about a year and a half before leaving that organization, setting up my own business, which is almost to the month, 20 years to 20 years ago. Yeah, which is darned impressive, uh, successful coaching organization development business over 20 years. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, I, haven't, I don't think I've come across anybody who said, oh, I want to be a coach, and they set out to become a coach. It's almost as though they find their path. So fascinating that you say that. Just, I'm just curious, that first project that you were involved in, you said, you know, the company had a lot of challenges with its internal staff. Did the program work out? Did it, did it change? It really did, Andy. Uh, you know, all two and a half thousand people were involved in this program. So at, 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 the, uh, at the thinner end of the wedge, there were a, a whole bunch of people who went on the two-day workshop. Yeah. And then there was a whole bunch of people went on the seven-day intensive, uh, which I, I went on the first cohort of that. And boy, that was crazy. Uh, and, the, and right at the other end of the wedge, there was 10 of us who went through the coaching, the coaches program. So all, all two and a half thousand people had a minimum of two day exposure to how we're going to do things differently around here uh, with at least probably eight or nine hundred people going through the intensive. Uh, which was seven days. Yeah. Uh, and, and 10 of us through a much longer program, you know, to become internal uh, coaches. Well, kudos to the leaders of that organization. That's a massive commitment, but mm. it illustrates what it what it takes sometimes to really change the culture. It's not a yeah. it's not a simple and, and, it, and, and it did. Yeah, it, it, you know, it really changed the changed the culture. I remember a really tough session where uh, the directors got the the top two hundred and fifty managers in the business in in a in a stadium and there was a conversation along the lines of look guys we used to play football and football is a fine game but now we're playing cricket right and can you imagine how ridiculous it is us trying to play cricket when there's some people also trying to play football on the same pitch it's ridiculous we're playing cricket here now and so you know quite a few people left after that conversation um, yeah. it, it was a it was a tough conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it and it made a big difference in the business. Uh, you know, we had a real purple patch for probably a couple of years prior to me leaving and, and joining this other company, where you know it was like rock and roll. You know, it was you know it was going great. Wow. And, and when visitors came to our various offices, they used to go, "Wow, what's going on here? This is amazing. It's so buzzy." Uh, wow. So yeah. That's exciting because a lot of a lot of people are never quite sure. Can you really change the culture? Um, and it's interesting. It's kind of fun. Your reference to cricket. It's a good job that wasn't over here because there'd be an awful lot of people leaving the company because they wouldn't know what cricket is. But uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you know, you you've had a really you have a really successful career because it's not it's not finished. I mean, gosh, you're twenty plus years and going, and you are known as one of the leading coaches in the construction industry. So you got started by seeing one particular issue in the construction industry. You know, I'm curious 
over that 20 years, what would you say are, say the top couple, two or three issues that you've had to address with, with teams and organizations in the construction industry? Well, I, th I think the biggest one, Andy, for me is, um, you know, in, in the construction industry, we have amazing, brilliant people who come to work to get stuff done, you know, mm -hmm. to get things built. Yeah. Uh, so they're all doers. They're all thinkers. So Sorry, they're, they're all doers and they're all task focused. Yeah. They're incredibly task focused. And, and so there's a lot of doing going on. There's an awful lot of firefighting going on and rushing around like headless chickens going on. And sometimes not much thinking going on. So a lot of the time when I'm working with a team, I'm really getting them to slow down, even if it's just for a day. And let's think here. Mm. Let's think strategically. Yeah. yeah. Let's think about what we're doing as a leadership team. Because the big part of our job as a leadership team is to create the environment where everybody can come and do their best work. Yeah. And yet if we as a bunch of leaders, you know, the, the eight of us, are kind of head down, backside up, you know, working on the doing, well, you know, that, that kind of spreads. You know, there's a saying, the fish rots from the head. And if the head's rotten and totally task focused, then the rest of it's going to be like that. So a, a lot of what I do is, is, is get these, these sort of six or seven or eight key people who are making the decisions around here and, and who are setting the tone to get them to actually stop and think just for a day, right? How do, we, how do we sustain, how do we create an environment for success where everybody involved in this project, you know, two and a half thousand people mm -hmm. can come and do their best work? How, how do we create that environment and then how do we sustain that? So I turn them around from looking at the project and all the tasks that need to be done and I get them to turn and face their people, even if it's just for a day. And have conversations around, right, how can we create the environment where yeah. people are engaged and come and do their best work? And it's like, it, it, it's, it's, it's a wicked problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a wicked challenge because there are no rights and wrongs. There are no simple answers. You know, it's the art of leadership rather than the science and doing of management. And, and these guys would prefer to be in the doing of engineering yeah most of the time not even management and they're brilliant people they're they're really clever people though task focused yeah i think and, and often and often not people focused well and i think it's what comes naturally we we're generally doers and we get immediate feedback and we feel good so that makes a whole lot of sense there and what you're, what you're saying. And I see that over and over, by the way, this, this focus on doing, it sounds a lot like, and I've heard a saying which says you need to, a lot of leaders are working in the business. They need to step back and be working on the business. 
Is that what you're referring to here? It, it completely is, but but I, I would go. I would go one step further, Andy, and, and what I do is, is get them working on their team. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. You know, let, let's, let's work on this team, this leadership team, for, for a day, and, and let's do it again at regular intervals, all the way from when we start to when we finish, yeah. to when the project starts and when the project finishes. Because you know, creating a, 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 an effective team is a process. It's not an event. And, and so, I, so I get them, you know, together to work on the team at regular intervals. You know, quite often it's every 90 days. Yeah. And it might be for three years or two years, depending on how long the project is. You know, I've worked with one uh, board of directors of a, of a national organization. I worked with them for five years, coming back every 90 days. And for, for that day getting them to work on the team. Because when they work on the team, they become a solid unit. Mm -hmm. and, and that solid unit, you know, gives out consistent messages and that cascades throughout the project. So they've got a chance. But, it, but if that unit is rotten, you know, the fish rots from the head and the rest of the yeah. project is going to be rotten as well. So, so my, my kind of ideology or, phys, or, or, or philosophy is to get the top team in great shape so the rest of the business has got a chance. And, and, and it's really about getting you people in great shape together yeah. and working on how you can create the environment where everybody else can succeed. So that's the work. I, I, I tend not to talk about team development. It kind of happens by stealth. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's fascinating what you're saying here, Dave, because I think a lot of leaders of teams or there's maybe a viewpoint, a common viewpoint that you get a bunch of people together and the magic happens or it doesn't happen. And it's really just luck, as it were. Did you have the right people? Did you have the right, I don't know, factors? in place and i think we've all been on teams which have been amazing you know i remember a team at intel where you know we went out to, to acquire a company and we worked for like 45 days maybe 60 days straight including over christmas and you know some people would have said oh that's that's got to have been awful one of the best experiences of my life it was great and then I've worked on other teams where I've just been like, oh, God, why do I have to go to this meeting? This is awful. Do I have to go? But what you're highlighting is teams are made, as it were. They're not just born great. But let Indeed. me ask you, what is a great team? Well, the, the, Andy, the other thing I would say before we we'll get yeah. into what is a great team and I don't know what it's like in, in, in tech industries like Intel, but in the construction industry, you know, I, I've been in the construction industry for 45 years and I was really enthusiastic. I had loads of energy. Uh, I was technically okay as an engineer. Mm -hmm. And so I got promoted. Yeah. And then I was kind of a junior manager and I had loads of enthusiasm and loads of energy. And so I got promoted again. Yeah, And then I got promoted again because I had loads of enthusiasm and determination and energy. 
and I got promoted again. So at, at no stage, at no stage in my life have I ever been taught how to get the best out of people. Have I ever been taught how to relate with people? I've, I've never been taught how to build teams. Yeah. You know, I've kind of acquired all of that since I've been coaching in the last 20, 20 odd years. And, 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 and when I talk to other people in, in, in the construction industry, they're all the same. So the only training that's going on out there is, is statutory training, which is around health and safety. And it's not really about health. It's really about safety. Um, so, you know, the people who are in senior positions in the construction industry, many, many, many of them have just got loads of enthusiasm and determination and passion for what they're doing. But, they, but, they, but they've never been taught how to get the best out of people, yeah. how to relate to people and, and how to build teams. And so it's a huge missing. And, and, and they've got this task-focused thing going on. And so, you know, I've, I've, got, this, I've got this huge playground <laughs> mm. that I'm coaching into, which doesn't even realize, you know, they need to get on with each other. They need to work together effectively, collaborate. They need to build teams but they don't even realize that, you know, they're just put together and they get on with it. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, Dave, that's not just unique to the construction industry. Uh, and I know you're not surprised by that, but yeah, I see that a lot. Hmm. So let's go back to, back to the, the team question. So you, you, I totally, totally agree with you. Yeah. You know, people are promoted because they're brilliant individual contributors. They're not promoted because they're brilliant leaders per se. There's this assumption that, okay, you're a great individual contributor and you're going to be an amazing leader and you'll create this great team. But, uh, you know, you're, you're renowned as, you know, one of the top team coaches uh, in the UK, particularly in the construction industry. From your experience, what makes a great team? Because you've got to have worked with a number of them that you'd say, yeah, dang, they were really good. Well, I'm, I, Andy, I'm going to be a bit controversial here. Um, okay. I, hear, I, I hear a lot of talk in the coaching world about high-performance teams. Uh -huh. And so, yeah. um, so, so I've been in the construction industry for 45 years, and I haven't seen one yet. And and that doesn't say much about me as a, as a leadership team coach. I was just going to say that, but so, I think so, there's more to this, though. So let's explore. Well, well, it depends what you mean by high performance. So, so I, I think, uh, you know, Barcelona Football Club are a high performance team. Mm -hmm. and, and if you look at Barcelona Football Club, you know, they've got a squad of, I don't know, 30 players. Yeah. And uh, those 30 players... Have, most of them have been there since they were nine or ten, and they've gone through the Barca Academy. Yeah, and and for them, it's 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 more than football; it's cultural. You know, there's there's politics going on as well. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they want to be they want to be separated from this. You know, from Spain, they want their own country. So it's more than you know. It's like deeply, deeply rooted. Yeah. And so these twenty five or thirty people have been there, and they know each other inside out. And they've got, Andy, they've got a goalkeeping coach. 
and they've got a defence coach mm. and they've got a midfield coach and they've got attacking coaches. They've got a head coach. They've got access to the best surgeons in the world. They've got the best physiotherapists around in their system. You know, they've got naturopaths who design what goes into their mouths. These people are training with each other three or four hours a day. And, and, you know, some of them get to play a couple of matches every week. So if that's what it takes to become a high performance team, then, you know, when, when I look at construction teams who are just thrown together, you know, a bunch of individuals yeah. are thrown together and told to get on with it. It's not surprising that they're only 10 or 15% effective. And then in the first follow-up session I do with them, I get them to self assess their effectiveness as a team and this is three months on from when we started mm -hmm. and the average of all those assessments since 2006 since i've been doing this self-assessment thing is is 28 and and so you know there's a 72 percent effectiveness gap andy yeah so if i can get this group of people to 40 or 50 percent it's like they've never experienced it before you know, magic just starts to happen. And, and how I get them there is by, you know, getting them in a room and helping them to work on the team, to work on their relationships, to work on their interactions, to work on the connections between themselves. There's, there's a great passage in a book, Andy, that everything in the world is connected and it's the relationship between the things rather than the things themselves, that is the primary determinant of a successful or an unsuccessful outcome. So I'm not a psychologist. I don't work with their heads. Yeah. I get them to strengthen their relationships. And when I, when I, when I help them, enable them to strengthen those connections between the seven of them or the eight of them, then that's when they start working together as a team. You know, if I can get them all pointing north, so they're yeah. pointing in the same direction. And then if I can challenge them, right, how are you going to get the other 600 people involved in this project also pointing north? Because at the moment, they don't know where north is. And they're coming to work and they work really hard, but they're working in opposite directions, pulling each other apart. Yeah, yeah. So, so now that we've got you guys all pointing north, you know, the eight of you, how are you going to cascade that? How are you going to get the... The other 600 people involved in the project pointing north. So what's a great team? Everybody's pointing in the same direction. Yeah. They're working together on their common aims. And they're regularly spending time working on and sustaining the team. Got it. Yeah. And, and they're, having, they're having really straight and candid conversations with each other. Yeah. It sounds like they're learning and growing together. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, your analogy with the top football team or soccer team is just spot on. I hadn't looked at it that, that way, but you're right. I mean, there's a there's an order of magnitude of focus here. And what you're saying is really important is even if we're not really scratching that level of, you know, top performance, we can absolutely improve our performance by orders of magnitude if we're starting at 10 or 
Yep. We can get three or four times better without having to, as you say, work for four hours a day and have all these different coaches and go to the weight room. We can absolutely with focus get better. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Definitely. Makes, makes a lot of sense. So let There's me so much uh, to go at, Andy. What's that? There's so much to go at. Yes. <laughs> you know, there's so much improvement to go at. And it's a huge, huge playing field. You know, I, so honestly, Andy, you know, I've been in the construction industry for 45 years. I'm at the bottom rung of my career ladder. You know, there's, there's much more out in front of me than there is behind. There's just so much to go at. Yeah, I, I certainly would have a different description of I wouldn't call you at the bottom rung. I mean, to me, you are one, one of the people in one of the top rungs. But what you're highlighting, I, I think is like, you know, you know, the more you learn, the more you realize there is to learn and that's ahead. And, yeah. and that's exciting to me. That's a, a growth mindset, which I love it rather than, oh, yeah, I've, I've done that. I, it, I've learned it all. So, so talking about learning, you're known as a team coach and really renowned in the industry for that. You're also known as an author. I mean, you've written three books. Your most recent book, Deep and Deliberate Delegation, as the title says, really, it's all about the topic of delegation. And I know some leaders really struggle with delegation. Why is that? I, I, I guess, Andy, it's a bit like, you know, the art of leadership. Everybody just assumes you can do it. Mm. So I, I was never trained. I was never trained as a manager. You know, I've already... You know, I've gone through yeah. that with you. I was never trained as a leader. And, and it's just, you know, it's like another art, you know, the art of delegation. Well, yeah, I already do that. Everybody assumes that they do it. And, and you know, a lot of people don't. And a lot of people that do, don't do it effectively. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting, Andy. I was working with a, a bunch of execs probably six or seven years ago. And one day, the, the top guy said to me, Dave, can, can you do me a workshop on delegation? And I said, no, I don't do training. I'm a coach. It's different. It's completely different. And he said, oh, oh, damn, that's a shame. It's because my, my guys can't delegate. And it's holding back what we're trying to do with you here, Dave. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I, I'm not a trainer. I'm a coach. <laughs> And so I left his room and he's kind of scratching his head, wondering what that was all about. And then, Andy, I noticed that every single conversation I had with business people in the next two weeks had delegation in it mm. or lack of it. Yeah. You know, they were saying to me, if I want to get this thing done properly, I got to do it myself or we can't get decent stuff anymore. Uh, they don't make them like they used to. And, uh, and, and, yeah, yeah. and so I'm thinking, God, this, this guy's onto something. Who, who asked me to do my, yeah. so I thought about it and I thought, yeah, it's, it's a, it's like a big topic. So I, I rang him up and I said, Hey, Mark, you know, that, that workshop you want me to do on delegation, it's not a workshop, it's a program. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, there's too much to cover in a day. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And he said, well, tell me about it. So, you know, I gave him the best ideas and he said, Whoa, that's brilliant. Let's do it. So I, I did the first cohort and he was in the room with uh, his, some of his senior people for four, four one-day sessions over a period of about 10 weeks with homework. 
your coursework assignments. Yeah. yeah. And at the end of it, he said, brilliant, Dave, that was amazing. So I then did another six cohorts throughout his organization. And then I wrote the book. Got it. And, so, and, and, now, and now the book sells the program. <laughs> they, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's fascinating that uh, how that showed up and how you, you know, with that, that perspective of delegation, you're able to see where that is so pervasive. And, and I see it as well. So I'm curious. I don't. And, want and Andy, I, I would say, like six or seven years later, every single conversation I have with executives and business people now has yeah. still got delegation in it. Yeah. Or even this one, you're talking to me about it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's like it's like everywhere. Everybody is struggling with how to free their time, how to free themselves up yeah. to, to work at their pay grade rather than working three levels down, disempowering the people in their organization. Yeah. Well, Everyone's struggling with it. It's one of those leadership management pillars that we, the skills that we have to do well that are non-discretionary. So I don't want to preempt somebody reading your book and going, oh, well, I don't need to read the book now. But I'm curious, by reading your book, what are probably one or two key things that they will take away. What do you find are some of the ahas that you, that you hear about from people that have read your book? Well, for, for me, effective, deep and deliberate delegation yeah. boils down to five things. The, the first thing is about you, the delegator. What, what are you brilliant at? Mm -hmm. Find that out. Your, you know, your unique combination of skills and gifts and education and knowledge. Yeah. Find that out and then delegate the rest. So you can position yourself to play to your strengths. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And then free, free everybody else up in the organization to, to cover the rest. And, and, and what, you're, what you're delegating to, you know, your second in command. Yeah make sure it's what he's uniquely able to do got it and then this cascades down the organization and the organization takes off um and and so th this thing that you're uniquely able to do um you know you you have a passion for that yeah and you will enjoy doing it and when you're doing that the time just flies by and you're energized and you're enthusiastic and and nobody has to tell you what to do and nobody has to check up on you. Yeah. So the, 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 big, the big insight that a lot of people get is it's, it's primarily about you, the delegator, finding out what you're, what you're really good at and then focusing on that and delegating the rest. So th there's also something about the delegatee. Mm -hmm. Is the delegatee trustworthy to effectively do the thing you're delegating them uh, okay. to. So are, are they, do they care about it? Are they honest? Are they reliable? And are they competent? So there's a tool in the book called the Trustworthy Tracker, which enables you to make an assessment of the delegatee in relation to the thing that you're delegating them. And nobody's perfectly rounded. Yeah, yeah. 
And so this tool tells you, the delegator, where you need to give support. Got it. So you're, you're walking into the, into the delegation with your eyes open. It's not blind faith. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. the delegatee trustworthy? Okay. So the next thing is, are you delegating tasks or are you delegating outcomes? Ah, if, yeah, yeah. if you're delegating tasks, you're going to be a policeman. Yeah. Checking up on, on them. You're going to be a cop. Yeah, che yeah. Checking up on them. Have you done this? Have you done that? Have you done it the way I wanted you to do it? If you're delegating outcomes, things to be achieved, and you let them get on with it and do it their way, then they'll come back to you when they need support and they'll let you know how they're getting on. Uh, but, but that frees you up to work at, 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 the, at your pay grade and upwards so you can get you know, further advancement in your career. So the other big thing is, uh, this delegation between you and I, Andy, is not done in a vacuum. It's done in the world. It's done in the organization. It's done in a living system. Mm -hmm. And there are external forces outside of you and Andy, you and I, Andy, that's going to bend us out of shape and try and stop us from getting this thing done. So we need to take a systems perspective, a living systems perspective of the, of the thing that's being delegated. And we need to identify some of the major forces coming in from the outside that's going to spoil this. Ah, yeah, and yeah. both me, the delegator, and you, the delegatee, need to think about that and proactively do what we can about what we can do. Yeah, yeah. And then in the, middle of, in the middle of you, then the delegatee, the outcome, and the system, the, the, the glue that keeps this going together in the middle is feedback. And so you and I, you, you the delegatee, and I, the delegator, are getting feedback. We're getting stimuli all the time about how this thing's working. Yeah. And, and again, that's an, again, feedback is another thing that, in my experience, is not handled very well. I couldn't agree more. It's, it's either somebody gets a real dressing down, or at the other end of the, ex at the, other end of the extreme, the manager steps over it and ignores the issue and there's not much in the middle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So effective, effective feedback is a key part of delegation or, or deep and deliberate delegation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, Dave, what you just shared there, those, I think five kind of key principles as it were, that's like a five minute master class on delegation. Right. Uh, and, the things you shared, I mean, supporting rather than being punitive, being really clear on the outcomes. You know, it's so easy to, well, that wasn't what I wanted, or you need to do it this way. They're just not as effective as what you uh, highlighted there. And you're right. Feedback is a gift and specific feedback is really, really valuable. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love it. Well, I mean, amazing advice and obviously reading the book, Deep and Deliberate Delegation. I mean, you just scratched the surface there, but I know it's chock full of more insights like that. Mm. So we've talked a lot about coaching. Andy, yes. Andy, when we do this again at some time in the future, I would quite like to talk to you about the book that I've just sent to the proofreader. 
Oh, okay. Well, here you go. So now you're, ever, you're getting uh, hot number off four. the press. So book number four is on its way. Do you want to give us a sneak preview of the title? It's called Coach for Results. Coach for a Results. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I know that you've been doing a lot of work in that space. So, all right, watch this space because that's going to be another awesome book for sure. So we've talked about you as a, in the construction industry, as a team coach, you know, a general coach, delegation masterclass. Talking of mastery or masters, you're also a, an incredible athlete. And I say incredible um, because truly what you've done, I mean, you represented Great Britain in the World Triathlon Championships. You know, I come across people who are generally really good at one thing. They're like, they're an amazing coach. But hey, you're an amazing coach, but wow, you're also like a, an incredible athlete. How do you find the time or really more like, because we all have the same amount of time. How do you balance things? Because this is a huge issue that most of my clients face. They're just, they don't have enough time to do the things they really want to do. How do you how do you balance things in your life? Um, I, I, Andy, I've been a fitness fanatic all my life. And I got my first job at 16. And uh, I, I was boxing at the time. And uh, I worked for a, a great company called Taylor Woodrow. Mm -hmm. And by the time I was by the time I was 18, I was doing okay in this organization. I was progressing with my studies. And I was working hard and, and, I, and I got an award, a merit award from the company. And, and when, when I went to receive the award, I had a black eye. <laughs> <laughs> I was boxing the day before. Of course. And, and the managing director said, as, as you handed the award to me, he said, Dave, how do you get the black eye? And I said, I was boxing last night. And he was a real fan of boxing. Oh, right. And so almost, almost from... You know, my earliest experiences, the, the company I worked for for the first 15 years of my career really encouraged me in, in my sporting pursuits. They, they, they sponsored me as a triathlete. Wow. You know, they, they actually gave me money to buy bikes and, and, and to travel and things like that. And so it was kind of, it was kind of an accepted thing that I, I would go out for a run at lunchtime and I would cycle back and forward to work. And so I, I was never one of these crazy people who would get in the, in the office at seven o'clock in the morning and still be there at eight o'clock at night mm, because yeah. I had this other thing going on. It kind of gave some balance to my life. And so ever since then, I've kind of prioritized my, yeah. my fitness and my training. It almost comes first because when I'm fit, I'm great. When I'm not fit, Andy, you don't want to know me. <laughs> yeah and so you know for me to function in the world for me to function as a husband father brother all that kind of, i want to be at my best for me to function as a coach my head's clear yeah you know i've, I've got rid of my edge you know i've, I've burned it off uh, i've exercised it off and so when i'm here you, you've got me at my best when i'm fit so i kind of prioritize my fitness before anything else you know, before work, before my business, because that, that's, 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 what, that's what helps me be at my best 
And I know that when I'm at my best, Andy, things seem to work out around me. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've got a fairly rigorous routine and, and I stick to it. Wow. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's very rare. You know, it's, it's got to be a serious situation for me not to go out on my bike. <laughs> wow. Uh, I tell you what, uh, and, I'm wondering there. And, 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 it's, and it's the first thing that goes in my diary. My, my PA knows when I'm on my bike and yeah. she doesn't put anything in there. <laughs> well, and I tell you what, I mean, there's some broad, I think, learnings there. I mean, three things come up for me. Purpose, prioritization, and the third one, which I just forgot there, constraints. It's important to have constraints. If you don't have constraints, as you said, you could be working from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, so having something else to constrain you, really important. Yeah. Well, Dave? And, and, and Andy, I would say the other thing is it's, it's, it's kind of a, you know, successful people have successful habits. Yeah, yeah. And unsuccessful people have unsuccessful habits. It's got nothing to do with determination or commitment. You know, you're already committed 100% to your existing habits. And if your existing habits are not successful, then that's kind of how it is. And so there's been many a time, you know, in, in a, on a filthy, rainy, windy, cold December day, when I've headed out on my bike and my wife Sue has said to me, Dave, enjoy your cycle. And I say, no, I don't enjoy it. It's just what I do. <laughs> it's what I've done for years. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm sure it feels good afterwards. Well, I tell you what, Dave, this, our, our conversation has, has been chock full of great advice. Uh, and, you know, we're leaving it here on just another just great point of successful people have successful habits. Unsuccessful people have unsuccessful habits. So, Awesome. Well, Dave, thank you for your time. I mean, we could we could talk for another hour. And what it says is we need to do another episode uh, in the future. But thank you so much for all the insights you've shared. And I'm excited about the new book, uh, Coach for Results, that's coming out. So uh, that's something I think we all need to take a look at. Because um, it's, you know, the last one was terrific. So I'm looking forward to that and say thank you again. Brilliant. Thanks, Andy. I really enjoyed it. To learn more about Dave and the books he has written, please refer to the links in the show notes. To listen to other leaders' stories, go to oyster.team forward slash podcast. You can subscribe to this show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is produced by Emma Holmstrom and is managed by Oyster, the leadership development company. Thanks for listening, and leadership is no accident.